Our story begins 25 years ago, in a distant land filled with magic, anthropomorphic beavers, conflicted dragons, and all sorts of other fantastical creatures. Every intelligent creature in the world heard The Voice, a psychic broadcast that promised unlimited wealth and power to whoever could break the Seven Seals. The Voice sparked a brief golden age of adventuring, with people of every cut of cloth traveling around the world trying to find out exactly what these Seven Seals were. Then war broke out between the dominant nation, the Red Kingdom, and the Unjanath, a secretive, isolationist culture of elves who lived in a forgotten, far-off corner of the world. That war waged on for nearly 20 years, with no one understanding how it started, until finally a peace treaty, brokered by Princess Ravello Red, brought an end to the hostilities. The princess disappeared shortly thereafter, and then the Unjanath retreated from their home, that remote corner of the world known as the Outlands. That brings us to today, where the Outlands Exploratory Company seeks to catalog the Outlands and uncover its secrets, discover its true nature, battle the powerful foes that live there, and simply try to stay alive week from week. Welcome back to the Outlands, everyone. This is Tales from the Outlands, episode four. I am your host, Christian Hoffer, and uh, this podcast is about a very unique Dungeons and Dragons campaign, which is played over the course of three days with 18 players. Uh, Every week, we bring on a different player from the campaign to serve as a guest host. This week, we have Eddie Strickland, who plays the wizard Ferris. Hello. And as always, we are joined by our producer slash six-year-old goblin child, Luke Herr. Hello. <laughs> Wait, are we talking about Luke or are we talking about flop arm? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you you introduced flop arm, but... Uh... Well, you know, uh, reality and fiction tend to blend together, especially in this podcast. Um, so, uh, for those of you who haven't listened to this podcast before, we split the podcast up into three parts. Uh, we begin every podcast by talking about the, uh, recent events that occurred in the Outlands campaign. Uh, then we have a discussion about, um, a, uh, whoever is guesting their, their player character. And then we wrap it up with a deep dive into some bit of lore. Um, since uh, Eddie is joining us this week, uh, we felt that it would be best to talk about the campaign's current big bad, Velez of the Void, who is a powerful sorceress uh, with access to strange magic and has a um, complicated history with some NPCs and an axe to grind with both the Sunday and Tuesday groups who play in this game. Um, so, uh, before we get started, I should mention, we do have our own website now, uh, that's brand new. If you've listened to the previous episodes, it's only been up for what a week, Luke, something like that. 
Yeah, I think I made it about a week yeah, ago. So you can go and uh, listen to these episodes at our website, which is www.talesfromtheoutlands.com. Uh, we will eventually have some more like info about the campaign. Um, we're still working out what exactly we all want to put on that, but more stuff will get added over time, especially as the audience grows. And we also have our own podcast stream now, or podcast feed, not podcast stream, podcast feed. Um, and so you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever or however you consume your podcasts. I mean, if you want, I can just go for everything we have distribution for, but that's... that that would take us that would literally take up the entire podcast. Can can I pick up the latest episode of the podcast at my local Target? Not yet, but we're working on that distribution deal as we speak. Darn. Disappointed. Yeah, they want us to work in how it's a mix of normal grocery store prices with fancy grocery store aesthetics and themes. And they also wanted to talk about how good their COVID cleaning is going. Target. It's safe. Well, and now we just paid for the episode. So, uh, mm-hmm. I didn't know we were sponsored. Surprise. Apparently we are now. Neither Target doesn't know that either. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're putting Targets on their back. Aye, oh. snaps. Okay. So, previously in the Outlands, a few things have been happening recently. And uh, so we're just going to run down really quick what has happened up to this point that ties into uh, the events of the last week. First and foremost, the cleric Solstice was given a quest by his god Kord to find the Thunderplate, which is a legendary piece of armor worn by Kord's father, Falcon, who is also a god, um, and take it to Falcon's tomb, which is located somewhere in the Fields of Thunder. Uh, Solstice previously retrieved the Thunderplate from the ancient bank of Untold Valara, and you can listen about exactly how that encounter went. That would be episode one? Episode two. No. It was episode two. It's Hjalmir and Falcon because yep. the numbering yes, is weird. Yes, the numbering is weird. I keep forgetting that. So you can listen to that mm-hmm. in a previous episode. Uh, Hjalmir and Falcon. Additionally, uh, in exchange for his help in dealing with an Aboleth situation, the Red Dragon Ashmaker requested to go on several dates with beloved NPC Ellie Windrow uh, with the hopes of learning more about the Seven Seals, these mysterious artifacts that uh, seem to be tied to the Outlands. And since you listen to the intro, you know play a central role in the campaign. Finally... The Toon Squad, the Tuesday group, uh, are still searching for the black dragon Trixie Alana on behalf of Veleza the Void, this powerful mage and a formal, former associate of the vampire Galthias. If they fail to find the black dragon and bring her to Velez, Velez will kill them along with lots of other people. Oh, I did want to make a note here because last week I did misspeak uh, when I was referencing. Uh, It was not The Mist. That is the movie adaptation of a Stephen King story. Uh, The movie that I think is bull is The Fog, Uh where only a certain number of people are going to be killed by the fog monsters. It's 
good and it's like really like it's a, it's a john carpenter film it's got a great cast jamie lee curtis is in it but also it's like oh you're only going to kill a certain number of people and then you could just retcon my well, and uh we also very quickly did away with the the number that luke has referenced in the previous two episodes but we'll get to that in, in a few mm-hmm. minutes to be fair that number started off as 10 and then yeah. it then developed to 15 and then to 18 listen let's yeah. let's let's save this for the deep dive you know let's uh, let's okay, not okay. immediately segue into nonsense over numbers let's let's give the listeners what they want here I require specific, consistent canon, Christian. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's my my first problem. Uh, one of the great flaws with this campaign. Anyways, so what was the terror team up to uh, this week? Well, I will tell you. Um, so this week, the terror team uh, actually went to Falcon's tomb, or at least they attempted to. Now, when this mission was starting off, uh, the party quickly decided that they wanted to go and fulfill this quest line uh, for the party member Solstice. But they didn't know where Falcon's tomb was. And I kept on saying, uh, you guys have a general location, uh, which is a massive uh, like prairie, um, which stretches over the course of uh, five hexes on our hex map. And each of those hexes relate to approximately a day's worth of travel. So it's like you have a, a massive prairie to, to find a tiny little location that you guys have no idea where you're going. In order to figure that out, um, they um, spoke with the Sapphire Dragon Moradin. And Moradin gave them the location of Falcon's tomb um, in exchange for uh, dealing with some corruption that had uh, like unnatural corruption that had sprung up in the fields of thunder and so moradin who actually has a connection to falcon of his own the the ancient sapphire dragon and falcon an ancient and now deceased god actually knew each other um so uh moradin kind of helped them out with that this trip served as the first real expedition into the fields of thunder which are always these first expeditions are always kind of special because they they really set the tone for what the parties are going to experience as they um, travel across these lands and start to dig in and explore a little bit more. And they found some very interesting locations. Um, One was an abandoned, uh, what appeared to be an abandoned air hangar, um, which I immediately started to regret as the players basically it's like we're like oh well we shall build an airship and use it to bomb our enemies. I'm like no you, you, you can't do that. So they found that. They also found a uh, location known as Runekeeper, uh, Runekeeper's Keep, I believe. Um, a, a, another dwarven location. And there's not been a lot of dwarven locations found throughout the Outlands. Uh, after dealing with this kind of um, little bit of corruption, which is kind of like this coalesced negative energy that turns into evil monsters. In this case, it was a giant flaming tree and some spectral wraiths. Um, the party f- discovered another interesting location, the Lonely Inn, a, uh, a, a small inn that is actually run by one of Falcon's spirits, as Falcon is known as the Spirit Lord. And 
across the Outlands, the party had the the parties have met several of his other spirits, which all seem to be tied to specific locations. Uh, the spirit of the inn resembles a human woman, only she has a flagon for a head. Um, the and she opened up the inn to uh, the party, and there the party met a uh, a scorpion folk, a a new uh, a new race found in the Outlands. And uh, um, yes, please describe this scorpion folk for me because I have been wanting a better picture in my head. I, I, I mean, it's basically what it sounds like. It's. I'm picturing Scorpion from Spider-Man comics. No, it's it's more like a um. So so scorpion let me centaur? let me yeah, it's more like a scorpion centaur. So let uh, me let me make the um, let, let let me make the clarification. Scorpion folk actually are a legitimate um race in Dungeons and Dragons. I do not believe. Actually, I don't know if they have been made a playable race, but. Uh, basically, they are like half human, half scorpion. They're classified, I believe, as large monsters. They actually, I believe, appear in Volo's Guide to Monsters um, as, um, well, monsters, which I think is a bunch of BS. But, you know, that gets into my fundamental disagreements with, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and how they classify monsters. But <laughs> that'll be a podcast for another day, friends. Um, but basically, she's... she's, um, she's she has scorpion, you know, she, she, she's got a scorpion bottom, um, and then a centaur, like a, a humanoid ish top, although her arms kind of go, you know, up with her. So she's kind of got like a Goro situation from Mortal Kombat. She's got a pair of large scorpion arms, and then she has a smaller set of human arms underneath and a humanoid face. Okay, and as far as I'm aware, at least not under the name Scorpion Folk. I'm not seeing in Volos. Oh, name. it's it's yeah. not under Scorpion Folk because um, give I'm me a looking, second. I'm looking the same. Tin oh, oh, Yeah, yeah, it's yeah that. Tlin Kali. Yeah, Tlin Kali. Okay, that's the that's the official Dungeons and Dragons name of it. Uh, anyone who has ever played Dungeons and Dragons or has ever spoken to me at all knows that I am terrible at pronouncing things. I am doubly terrible at pronouncing fake words. So, they're called Scorpion Folk in this campaign because I can say the word Scorpion Folk easily. But if you use D&D Beyond, which you can buy at Target, no, you can't. No. Uh, they do have the nice feature where you can just hear the word pronounced. So it's... Tlinkali. Tlinkali. But one one more time, Luke, for for all of our listeners out there. Tlinkali. I feel I feel educated. Mm -hmm. Anyways, so they met this scorpion folk, and her name is uh, uh, Chus. Uh, uh, excuse me, Chusprapani, and she hails uh, from a place that is even farther east called the Wastes of Pain. Uh, her and her. Uh, tribe or clan actually i believe they were a clan may have uh, business in the fields of thunder they were an oppressed group uh by the unjanoth and so they're very happy that the unjanoth are gone um and we could be seeing more of the scorpion folk uh sometime in the future as it seems a new faction has emerged in the outlands after spending the night in the lonely inn uh the players continued on heading towards the location of falgun's tomb 
However, they discovered it was blocked off by this massive, unmoving storm wall created by Barum Barum. Barum Barum is one of the heralds of the Feyrim. While we call Barum Barum a he, he is actually a stag made of smoke, lightning, and storm clouds, and he is known as the Quakehoof. Barum Barum is actually the entity that slayed Falcon, but has laid uh, dormant in the Outlands for for thousands of years and has only recently emerged. Um, so with their path blocked off, they discovered, the party uh, discovered a, uh, a small cottage nearby. And inside that cottage, they met the priestess Grinnell, who is a Medusa priestess. priestess a, a, she is a Medusa or a Gorgon. Uh, in Dungeons and Dragons, we have to call them Medusas because Gorgons is a separate Dungeons and Dragons monster. Go figure. Um, and she is a priestess of Falcon. Now, instead of being like enthusiastic that uh, you know there was a group coming to try to find Falcon's tomb, or that uh, there were people who knew about Falcon and Cord, she seemed more uh, disappointed and actually a little bit hostile that Cord had sent an envoy, um, and it seemed the group found out that some of the other gods may have manipulated them into heading out in this direction in a very roundabout sort of way. And she was disappointed that Cord had not directly intervened on this issue that she's having, namely that her God's mortal enemy is occupying or uh, blocking access to this God's tomb. Uh, at the, after a spirited conversation with Grinnell, uh, Grinnell decided to return to the outpost with the party um, as she seemed to think it was the right thing to do. So that was Friday's group, or Friday's uh, session. What happened on Sunday, Luke? Well, after last week's mission was converted into a town hall for the adventurers, the Buddy Brigade decided to go and bring on their two newest party members to a date, one of them being a six-year-old child, a date between... The Red Dragon Ashmaker and Secret Unjanath Ellie Windrow. And it's it is definitely an interesting thing because Ashmaker's initial understanding of a date was not necessarily in a romantic sense. It was more of a event or a meeting, and then slowly, because especially now that Cleaver's not around, R.I.P. or R.I.S. uh a lot of the shippers have been pushing those two together. Uh, I I would just like to clarify that at no point in time did any shipper ship Ashmaker and Cleaver. There that never. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure everybody shipped Ashmaker and Malkador. That actually is probably a more accurate statement. Hey, I I Cleaver's Cleaver has been going after Ashmaker and has been trying to understand him first, but you know. So, so it's been a one-sided shipping. Oh yeah, that field has not been fertile. No, no. <laughs> thank, thank now, goodness, because that's how you end mm-hmm. up with Dragonborn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, imagine a like Cleaver and Ashmaker's kid. That would be the tiniest Dragonborn you've ever met. No, that uh-huh. that that is how 
that is how the next Outlands campaign gets its big bad right there. Just chaotic, the, evil incarnate right there. The the shortest, the shortest dragonborn, or the tallest kobold, <laughs> or one of each. Oh, uh, anyway, stop, stop giving me horrifying visions of you know what an Ashmaker Cleaver union. What happened on the date, Luke? The, the the listeners they want to know did Ashmaker and Ellie kiss? You know, I I was getting there, but someone had to interrupt. So we flew out to the Phi Tangle, which is a jungle all the way past the long, long beach that we still might find more secrets. There on. are no more secrets to discover on that beach. There are more secrets on the beach. There's always that's why all that sand is there to hide secrets. Yep. That's what sand does. Mm-hmm. It it's coarse, it's gritty, it gets everywhere, and it hides secrets. Mm-hmm. No more secrets. So the group was told to follow Ellie on this trip, including Ashmaker, who had turned into a human form, as he's wont to do. And while the rest of the party was responsible and new six-year-old uh, goblin uh, flop arm made sure to stick with his uh, adult buddy Ashmaker got lured away somehow failing multiple resistances despite you know having those legendary moves uh, and so the party found that Ashmaker had gone missing tracked him through the woods and found a bunch of orbs uh, one of them which was feeding on him and had not come out so the party confronted the orbs bought some orbs flop arm got the finishing blows on like three out of the five it was ridiculous absolutely ridiculous yeah. uh flop arm who in the opening round of combat turned back from being a giant crab that he had done as a free action and then uh made another character giant because you know he's a six-year-old kid it's great i don't need justification anymore as long as he's trying to be a hero yeah, you know, you, you bring up that Ashmaker failed multiple legendary resistances. Here is the mm-hmm. thing about the whatever it was that lured Ashmaker away. Um, that is known as, uh, it's a phenomenon known as the ghost lights. And, you know, you only fail saves if you, you know, choose to resist it. You know, whatever whatever lured Ashmaker out was something that he must have wanted to see um mm-hmm. oh yeah like how uh flop arm saw his parents who are dead but no no they're they're totally alive did we established that flop arm's parents are dead i assumed we did uh it's it, it's in the lore no flop arm's parents are alive there was nothing weird going on there i i could have sworn there was something at the at the hall meeting the uh the great hall meeting where you're like, oh, I'm an orphan. I'm on my own. I've been in the kitchens. Oh, no, his parents are very concerned. That's right. I forgot. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Enough about Flap Arm. Uh, so after that, uh, the party took a six-year-old to go and eat some seer fruit, had a joint vision. Not a hallucination, because everything they saw was real, where they essentially ascended into astral forms. And Ellie took everyone to see the Pit of the Faerim, which is where all of the Faerim are held. They've been there for thousands of years, just getting angrier and angrier and angrier. And while 
the majority of them will be kept in as long as there is one seal held. They will have more power and influence, which will cause more problems uh, if more of the seals are broken, which is why after one seal is broken and uh, the heralds have shown up again, uh, we've gotten a better scope and Ashmaker is like, oh, well, you you uh, you made this point and also after Ashmaker was saved, he and Ellie gave eyes to each other. As as a creative note, whenever Ellie Windrow is brought up, can can there be like harps played in the background? <laughs> Cooing noises, something. I, f- I feel like this needs to happen. I am not going to lie. I've considered doing audio bits, but I don't think the payoff would be worth the extra work. And I think Christian would be very, very tired of it very quickly look what you have done to my creation well you know i i got nothing i i (laughs) genuinely have nothing if you want to see me just doing dumb bits i've got pokemon podcasts i've got comics (laughs) action role-playing podcasts I did 352 episodes of an alternate universe comic review and discussion podcast. So, I mean, there's stuff where you can just see me doing bits. Anyways, so uh, at the end of that, at the end of the Sunday group, um, there was one more important development. Uh, Ashbaker has not left the outpost yet. It's always good to know. Glad always... uh... Keep your friends close and your dragons closer. Yep. And, uh, you know, one of the things with Ashmaker is that the players learned not too terribly after, too long after he was introduced, uh, that there were three dragons that seemed to be somehow connected to the Outlands. And each one is known under a different moniker. Um, The red dragon, uh, who seems to be Ashmaker, was known as the, or is known as the protector. And um, Ashmaker has kind of been trending, you know, in, in Dungeons and Dragons, and keep in mind that alignment is a suggestion as more, instead of more of an absolute. But, you know, dragons are tend, tend to be selfish individuals. They, they covet power. You know, they're, they're not good creatures, so to speak. Um, but Ashmaker, while he exhibited some of that early on, he's kind of had a bit of a character arc over the last few months where he's been doing more and more altruistic things. He was very upset about the loss of Cleaver and Malkador. Um, he, he genuinely seems to care about not only the Outlands, but also the, the, the adventurers of the Outlands Exploratory Company. And it seems like he is on the cusp of becoming this protector of the Outlands. But, you know, I'm sure we'll have more to speak about Ashmaker, who is one of the more complicated characters in the Outlands campaign and some future episode. Eddie. Yes, sir. What what has the Toon Squad, what what are they doing? What? Uh, that is a very good question. Um, the Toon Squad itself... I feel like we stumble into things. Um, Most recently, we pissed off a very powerful-seeming mage 
named Velus of the Voids of the Void, pardon me. Uh, and we're tasked with hunting down and bringing to her uh, the black dragon Trixialana. Uh, uh, most recently, we did find her. Uh, it took us a couple tries. We uh, first checked out in the nearby pirate encampment. Uh, sadly, no dragon. We but there met were up, cultists there. There were cultists, but there it's no dragon. Cults are no dragons. Um, we visited the crab folk. Uh, I was very disappointed to not have a half crab, half dragon. No, but there was a Faerim there. Which, there was you know... a Faerim, and we fought these giant, terrifying... I I kind of picture them as like anteater, or not anteater, um, uh, like antlion type creatures that like ate out your eyeballs. Yeah, that was a very tense session, uh, for no other reason than uh, our cleric Kalen almost not making it. Um, that was that was rough, but we survived and we moved on to our last target which I think all of us were really kind of hoping it wasn't going to be. And we checked out the Hill Giant Steading. Um, our, uh, oh, what's his name? Um, Jack Mander? Jack Mander and then the Psy Knight. Oh, uh, Brom. Brom, thank you. I don't, I don't have my character list pulled up. Uh, Brom had, the, had a brilliant idea uh, where we did not have to because I think we were all very nervous about having to confront a bunch of hill giants because our our standard approach has always been hi we're from the outlay the outpost exploratory company uh anybody new show up that you didn't know before uh, don't really know how well that would have gone over with some hill giants that were under the leadership of the bone taker if I'm correct yeah, they 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 do do seem to be in service to the Bone Taker. Yeah, very, I was very nervous about how that was going to play out, but it was revealed to us that the Hill Giants have uh, kobolds that were under their service, uh, and Brom had the brilliant idea of, hey, why would she be a Hill Giant? She might be a kobold to stay in hiding. That was brilliant. Uh, so our resident, uh, I'm assuming he, I'm pretty sure he's a warlock, uh, Jack Mander, uh, disguised himself and entered into the kobold kitchen <laughs> and encountered what I am pretty sure has been my favorite NPC fo so far, um, uh, Peter Cobaldi and poor Peter, uh, ended up having to sacrifice his life or health uh, in aiding us in finding, uh, oddly enough, the newest black-scaled uh, kobold of the group, uh, Trixie, which is Trixialana. Uh, we eventually talked with her, brought her out, and uh, she's agreed to... Uh, to come back to the outland, uh, the outpost with us. So, 
the 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 interaction with Peter Cabaldi and Jack Mander uh, was definitely you know one of the strangest moments of the the Outlands campaign. Um, as it was, you know, kobolds are one of my favorite D D creatures. Um, they are the as I they I lovingly refer to them as trash panda dragons. Um, they are they are very smart and also very stupid at the same time. And um, Jack Mander, who is very smarmy, and I say that in the most loving <laughs> possible way. Um, basically convince Peter Cabaldi to do him a solid and create some kind of distraction. And so Peter Cabaldi took a giant stack of pots and pans as they have never been cleaned in this kitchen and dumped them on himself. It was very heroic and brave and also very stupid. And I feel that's the Cobalt experience to a T. And then uh, Jack Manor pulled a... Pulled a James Bond, just walked up to Trixie Alana and said, come with us. We need to have a discussion and just whisked her away. Yeah. Yeah. Very smooth yet. Like you said, kind of smarmy. So now Trixie Alana, what did you say to her to convince her to return? Because she was in hiding for some very good reasons, which we'll we'll, we'll, we'll dig into a bit during our, our deep dive. But... What 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 did you say to convince her to come back with you? Well, uh, Ferris's point was that uh, we both have a thorn in our side, and that thorn is Velus of the Void. Um, we want to ha- we wanted to help her deal with Velus and never have to worry about you know having to hide anymore. Um, we wanted we told her we wanted to protect her that we wanted to take the fight to velis and um by doing so we would ensure her safety uh by basically taking out the threat um i i we never actually revealed to her our true intention which is that we're trying to do this not to die <laughs> um but uh yeah we basically kind of just schmoozed her into coming back to the outpost with us. And she did extract a couple of uh, agreements mm-hmm. uh, from from you. Uh, for one thing, she's now sort of working for you, right? Uh, I, I haven't quite figured out how I'm going to approach this. Uh, Ferris himself, which I'll probably go into a little bit in the deep dive, in the spotlight, but uh, he's been looking for an apprentice uh, in the goblins. Um he Ferris is a tinkerer. He's a craftsman, uh, and he's been looking for some help in the forge. Uh, I, <laughs> I I have some very interesting thoughts about how that's going to go over with with uh, Hjalmir when I show up with, "Hey, Hjalmir, I have a uh, I found a new goblin." Uh, which I forgot to ask Christian. Does when she have, when she assumed goblin form, did she look like? previous Trixie? Oh yeah. Yeah. She she changed back into her Trixie Goblin form. Trixie Goblin form. So Felmer's uh, going to know exactly who she is. Yeah. Uh what not entirely sure how well he's gonna go over that's gonna go over well with uh Yalmir. Um but the thought was to kind of put her in the we want to keep her safe. Uh and she's agreed 
to 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 stay with us and help us as long as we get rid of all of the associates of Golthias, um, including uh, Cartram, uh, <laughs> the local vampire previous heartthrob, I think. Um, uh, yeah, vampire we, we some, relationship is complicated. We got some news where he is essentially disowned his relationship with the party. Yeah, and so yeah, if we are going to want to have to get a second chance going in to get that seal. Uh, I think we'd have to kill him or well, uh, we have to steal his heart phantom thieves style. Well, what we found out was um, Trixie Lana was gifted. If I remember correctly, Christian was gifted to Golthias by Cartram. Correct. As a pet, as a you pet, don't, you don't yeah. keep dragons as pets in general. Um, and it was kind of like the height of arrogance that Golthias felt that he could keep a dragon as as a pet, yeah. and um, and so this that that proved to be so Golthias. For those who haven't listened to some of our previous episodes, Golthias is this ancient vampire who has history with the Outlands and is basically just a a your your typical sociopathic grade A vampire. You know, like the worst of kind of vampire he's dead and he died at, by trixie alana's hand Dra- trixie alana m- murdered him and uh you guys found out a little bit of information about how that all went down which once again we'll, we'll cover that a little bit more in the deep dive um because you know we gotta save that juicy vampire oh, stuff until the end of course because you, you have know, to keep the listeners wanting more exactly gotta string that string that out as far as possible um, I know that there's at least one listener who's like, no, give me the vampire stuff now. I was going to say. <laughs> like, talking about you, James. Talking about you, buddy. Hello, James. Uh, so, but the important thing is, not only this this weekend's worth of sessions ended with the outpost gaining not one, but two dragons. Yeah, I... That's that's gonna go over swimmingly, because uh, Ashmaker knew that there was a dragon in the outpost prior, but couldn't tell who it was or where they were. Uh, it's gonna be interesting bringing Trixie back. Uh, it's yeah. gonna be little sus. Now, now, if I might suggest something, because I was unaware of that part of Trixie's uh, return. As a goblin, she is someone who Flawbomb would know, who Flawbomb has probably not had explained, is secretly a dragon, and as Flawbomb is now using a goblin workforce to manage the kitchen, that would also probably be something that would be a welcomed NPC role for her. I'm going to poach Trixie <laughs> some eggs, and then poach her so she works on my uh, side. Trixie, well, and as a note, Trixie previously worked in the kitchens before yeah. her departure. She was the uh, she worked making potions. She was the backup potion maker. For she the... seemed in the conversation we had because initially Jack Mander was trying to hire her in his bar, which uh, as a player I was a hundred percent about. I mean, he had the right idea. You know, adventure adventurer run bar with a dragon barkeep. Uh, you can't go you can't get much better than that uh but she seemed to be kind of uh 
resentful of her prior role in the outpost. Mm. Uh, Cause when we mentioned her coming back, she was like, Oh, you're going to bring me back so I can make more fricking potions. Can we swear? Eh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't, I wasn't sure. Uh, Kali. <laughs> but uh, yeah, she seemed resentful of the fact that we were going to try to bring her back and get her to work. So Ferris's approach to bringing her back and trying to keep a place for her organically within the outpost was not to bring her on as an employee necessarily. Um, his initial thought was, you can be in the forge under the pretense of being an apprentice. I don't, I don't think Ferris actually has any intentions of putting her to work, maybe asking for help, but not necessarily putting her to work. We could probably run an entire D and D campaign just about the, um, like three's company adventures that Ferris Hjalmir and, you know, Trixie are about to have in the Forge. Like, that could be a TV show. There there have been so many times where I have had interaction with Hjalmir and Paul, um, which I absolutely adore every chance we get to do that. Um, because I feel like that's a relationship that we haven't got to explore too deeply in-game. Um, because we share, we share responsibilities in the Forge, mm-hmm. you know? It uh, that that that's something I do wish we get we could uh, explore a little bit deeper. Yeah, well, you know, uh, the the nice thing is is that you know Paul Paul listens to or sits in on most of the D and T sessions. He kind mm-hmm. of just um, you know, he he doesn't want to like hog you know other people's time you know um in the campaign. But if you ever want to interact with him on you know Tuesdays and he's he's there, you always can. I I will say, and Paul, since I'm sure you're listening, I live for every time I make you have to turn your camera on. <laughs> I get such a laugh out of that, and I do it intentionally. Uh, those those are great moments. So that's what happened on in our Outlands campaign this week. So let's let's dig a little bit more into your character. We've we've been talking around Ferris. But we haven't really described Ferris at all for our listeners who don't play in the campaign. So, Eddie, why don't you tell us a bit more about Ferris? Like, you know, what's what's this dude all about? Sure. Uh, Ferris. Well, uh, <laughs> hi. Hi. Uh, I'm Ferris. I'm a, uh, uh, you know, middle-aged gnome, probably around uh, 135, 140 years old. Um, he, I give him the, the, the description of... Um, oh, what's his name? The dad from uh, Beauty and the Beast, Maurice. Mm-hmm. Crazy, old absolutely. Maurice. Skullet, uh, Tinker Smock. He's got like a bandolier across his uh, bandolier of pouches across his front uh, that he keeps all of his components. Uh, he isn't. He is a wizard, a conjuration wizard, but he is also a tinkerer, as a lot of gnomes tend to do um i kind uh, ferris <laughs> uh, 
compared to I feel a lot of the people in the Outlands who have a um a deep driving purpose to find answers out in the Outlands. Uh Ferris is just a guy. He's a dude. He's trying to make a living. Uh he was trained by dwarves. He spent a good chunk of his life um with uh mountain dwarves. Uh, learning different crafts, different skills, uh, jeweling, tinkering, carpentry, a little bit of everything. Uh, And he has set out himself to kind of perfect his craft. He wants to make his perfect item. Um, And to do that, he wants to find as many expensive, exotic uh, crafting materials that he can. Many occasion in uh, adventures, we'll get, you know, paid sums of gold. But occasionally we'll get, you know, sums of gold, but in a certain material. Like with the uh, Penguin March, we received our payment partially in gold, but also partially in narwhal horn. Uh, So Ferris did not take the gold value he has instead narwhal ivory that he can then manipulate and uh, add on to various projects. Um, One of the things he was most excited about was our uh, encounter with the bicorns from many, many weeks ago. Uh, Having some bicorn horn that he he finally embellished onto a chest that he had just finished making. So yeah, compared to a lot of what the people in the Outlands Exploratory Company tend to tend to want, such as like Ellie's trying to find her parents, uh, Yalmir's trying to. I'm not exactly. Ferris isn't exactly sure what Yalmir is up to because I'm pretty sure Yalmir just keeps to himself in the forge. Um, But a lot of people seem to be looking for something. Ferris is just trying to make a living, trying to turn some coin. So, and, you know, you you basically have, like, a full business, like, sub-business in the Outlands, too. Tell us, tell us a bit more about that, because that's, like, one of my favorite parts. Yeah, uh, so being a wizard is exorbitantly expensive, uh, <laughs> that I discovered. And after the first mission or two, when we finally did get paid, uh, and it was a grand total of, like, which I understand in D and D economy, you know, one piece of gold is can get you a whole lot. Um, so when you're getting paid, you know, twenty five, thirty gold pieces a mission, that's a very good living. Uh, not so much for uh, wizards. Uh, so as a means of one sustaining his craft and two being able to expand his repertoire as a wizard. Uh, Ferris created his Ferris's fantastical fashion forward line, starting with his pre- prestigious pocket mirrors, which are just simple pocket mirrors, like you would have, like clamshell pocket mirrors, uh, with a special rune on one su- on the opposite side of the mirror that, when you uh, press it, it sifts all the dirt and grime away off of you, uh, similar to the spell prestigitation. So Ferris is trying to create you know mildly enchanted beauty products basically to fund his other goals 
which is the main reason he's trying to find an apprentice. He needs somebody to do the heavy lifting, uh, and then he can focus on uh, the simple enchanting while he um, pursues other uh, projects. So, okay, so you've talked about that, you know, Ferris doesn't really have like a, a purpose or a goal in the Outlands besides just to try to make an honest living out in the edge of the world. But, you know, Ferris has been in the center of a lot of really terrifying and awful missions. Um, are you surprised that Ferris is still alive? I'm, I'm just going to yes. straight up ask, ask that. A hundred thousand percent. Yes. Um, there, there were a couple close encounters um, leading up to the excursion out to the Feywild. Uh, the first brush with death he had was at the Wicker Maze, the infamous Wicker Maze, uh, where I, I, that was legitimately the first time I thought, well, heck, I'm going to have to roll up a new character. Yeah. Ferris was initially part of the Buddy Brigade. Yeah, I prior prior uh, uh, Toon Squad representative of the Buddy Brigade. Uh, it it was it was a very interesting time back then. Uh, and then I think after that was the Feywild expedition, where he almost was uh, skull cap removed and slurped out like escargot. Uh, by an Illithid to be saved in a Deus Ex Gritty or uh, Gritty Ex Machina, if you will, by the uh, Archfey, the Gritted One. Uh, that, uh, as you were, as I was stuck in the clutches of the Illithid, I legitimately had kind of turned off my brain and I pulled up DNT Beyond and I was starting to roll, I was starting to research new characters. Like legitimately, thank thank goodness for gritty. Yeah, you would have died that. Like you know, Ferris Ferris has a terrible history with with the uh, with the Feywild. That's that's he, he should never go back there again. I I, you know die. what? The only reason he went into the Feywild was to get a gilded flower. Uh, unless we all take the fight back to the Illithid for some reason, and even then, Ferris is probably going to be very on edge about it and very unsure about it uh he has no personal need to ever go back to the feywild that that will be where you say ferris you've had a nice run you're just going to stay in the forge and we're going to bring in this new character who is an illithid killer killer <laughs> specifically designed to be an illithid killer highest intelligence possible but doesn't use it at all <laughs> So, so what, what do you think is going to happen with Ferris? You know, Ferris has, Ferris has been, you know, I don't want to say he's been at the center of a lot of the Outlands biggest moments, but he's been there for a lot of them. And, you know, he's still just doing his thing. Like, do do you, do you think Ferris is going to get more invested in the fate of the Outlands? Do, do you think that, you know, what, I guess, yeah. What, what do you think is going to happen with Ferris? Ferris is invested in the Outlands Exploratory uh, Company. He's he's very invested in the outpost itself. Uh, it's his home. Uh, he wants to protect it, and he wants to protect everybody there. Um, 
so if he needs to, if he's going to go on missions and everybody else wants to go he's basically going to help protect them um as far as like and I'll I'll be honest about this Ferris could give you know two flips about the seals uh, whereas everybody else is highly invested in them. That's one thing. Because when we went to the uh, the library and we spoke with the library guardian, I literally had the idea of asking about the voice that spoke to everybody about the seals. What happens when you break all the seals? But I, I had that thought as a player character, or as a player, uh, but I kind of re- reasoned that my character wouldn't ask that. He wouldn't be interested. Um. So yeah, Ferris. Ferris is definitely invested in everybody else around him, uh, which is why you, uh, the Wicker Maze, for example, uh, the reason Ferris almost died was from his own actions, uh, because our paladin at the time uh, was in a one-on-one battle with a guardian and was losing. <laughs> was on the ground about to die and Ferris tried to subtly intervene and that basically set his you know, that set his course for you know everything else that went on past that um so he cares about everybody else legitimately okay well i hope that ferris has a long and <laughs> Fruitful life in the outland. I I hear the ominous tones behind that, Christian. You don't have to fool. You can't fool me. Or if he doesn't have a long life in the outlands, that you know, I I you know I, I always feel bad because poor poor Ferris always feels like the victim. He <laughs> he never goes out in like a blaze of glory when he you know starts to have to make death saves. It's all because he he. He ran in the wrong direction, or he misjudged how fast a monster can move and get so, like cornered. So to be and... fair, Ferris has never had to roll a death save. Oh, it yeah. has always been just dead. <laughs> it has always been you were swallowed up. It was first you were swallowed up by the uh, by the wicker maze. Lord knows, you know, Cord knows what's going to happen after that. Uh, Second time was he was wrapped in the tentacles of an illithid, and once that brain comes out, it's all over. There's no saves from that. And then most recently, uh, somehow being you know a part of the group that has potentially doomed the entire outpost, which a lot of people took as you know Ferris going to die. Not that everybody was going to die. Uh. That you know, that's a perfect segue, Eddie. Let's go and talk some more about. Let's talk more about Ferris dying, shall we? Sure. Uh, <laughs> I am so excited. You know, I I love celebrating the mortality of my D and D characters. Uh, so this week we are going to dive into the campaign's current big bad, Velez of the Void. Um, interestingly enough, you know, Velez of the Void hasn't been around in the Outlands that long. A lot of the other threats the players have faced has kind of been like teased out for months 
you know, before like they they really make their impact. Even the the Ablith Duwop um, and the Clockwork Army, which were the previous big threats. The Clockwork Army is still out there, by the way, guys. You know, no one seems to care about the robots oh. that literally destroyed your camp. Ferris but... is very is very very intrigued by the Clockwork army uh like that to him is like tinkering at its apex he wants to learn everything he can about that and also wants to deal with that so if he survives if, if he survives this this encounter with velez um so you know velez on the other hand you know her name only started to like come up in like little bit mid-december i want to say is when she first made her her introduction that there was this entity known as velez of the void um, Velez of the Void, as we mentioned at the start of this episode, she is a um, she is a mage um, who has a history with Golthias, this this evil vampire. Uh, now we've known about Golthias for a while. Golthias was the sire of Cartrum. Cartrum is an NPC vampire who has been around in the campaign for a very very long time. He he was a part of the you know he he has made appearances in the campaign since the second or third session. Um, so, you know, this was all plotted out a while back, but Velez was kind of a more recent addition. Um, Velez, she is a, is she's alive. She is not a vampire. Um, and she is seeking to resurrect Golthias. And, um, you know, everyone's kind of, everyone knows Golthias is evil, and obviously they don't want Golthias to come back. Now, in order to bring back Golthias, who is a vampire, so he can't be resurrected through traditional means. You can't, like, use Revivify or, you know, True Resurrection or any of the other, you know, Raise Dead spells, because he's he's undead. So in order to bring him back as a vampire, uh, Velez has to complete this, like, you know, dark ritual, which involves sacrificing not only uh, the, the person who murdered Golthias, or in this case, the dragon who murdered Golthias. There also needs to be additional sacrifices as well. Uh, a hundred of them, to be precise. This was only information that Trixie Alana revealed last week. Um, and so, you know, the, the players, the, the Toon Squad was under the impression that, you know, obviously Velez wanted Trixie Alana for some purpose. It probably wasn't good. But now it's all laid out there. Um, and where is there a hundred sacrificable people in the Outlands? Well, that would be the outpost where all the adventurers live, along with all of their favorite NPCs. I'm still convinced we can we can uh, talk her into going out to uh, Cathedral Town. <laughs> oh, yeah, that'd be two horse or. Two birds with one stone. I almost said two horses. Yeah. With one, you know what? You two horses, with, one crop. You know. You know if you throw one stone at two horses, you get two. They will fight over uh, it. No, you get two mad horses. Yeah. They both get mad at you, which you know that's probably exactly what would happen in that scenario. So, so apt analogy. So, Eddie, you sadly were the person who made first contact with Velez. Do you want to tell us a little bit about? What the heck happened there? <laughs> sure. So we had just had two encounters with some ghouls and some wraiths. Uh, we as a party were not looking hot at all. 
Um, and this and this occurred in Golthias's mausoleum. Yeah, which we didn't. I, as a player, didn't know that this was. Did any of us know that this was Golthias's mausoleum, or did we just know this as the halls of the dead? Well, it was it was described as the hall of the dead when you yeah. guys picked the mission. But when you walked in and saw the big, big you know, statue, statue of Golthias killing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Um, so we, we had a previous, the first time that we tried to hunt down, uh, to find Trixie Alana after she initially left the outpost after the clockwork army attack, Mm -hmm. uh, we came across her, uh, being attacked by some ghouls and a, uh, statue made out of bloodstone. Uh, and the bloodstone seemed to be like maybe siphoning the life off of, off of Trixie Alana or just like encapsulating her, um, Doing her a hurt, basically. Uh, when we got down to the uh, halls of the dead, and we went into the room with the wraiths, uh, in the center of the room was a giant brazier made of bloodstone. And everybody had the agreement that this was a bad thing. <laughs> this thing was not a good piece of furniture, basically. Um, but at that point, we are all like, we need to get the heck out of here. We're all barely standing as it is. I think Ferris was at like two hit points maximum. Yeah. You, you had gotten wraithed like twice. Yeah. Um, or I think I was at like two hit points with like 12 maximum, something like that. I was hurting. Uh, and so Ferris made the suggestion that let's, Let's just take the thing back with us and destroy it at the outpost. Let's get out of here. Um, everybody else decided to go, you know, office space on it um, and just start destroying it. So Ferris and I think Zark were at the entrance, like trying to make their way back when basically Ferris turned around and there stands Velus of the Void and her giant uh, boy toy that I don't think we still know the name of. He is a vampire knight, and I have yeah. not told you his name, but I yeah. will. I always like to give away some secrets. He is a vampire, and he is a vampire knight. So, vampire knight. You know, he, 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 he not only has vampire-y abilities, he, he also hits hard. He's a, he's a nightly vampire, uh, as opposed to a daily vampire. And so, Veles uh, is this beautiful woman. You know, she's dressed in this dress that, you know, it seems to be made out of the night sky. A little too skinny um, for, you know, seems like unnaturally skinny. And what does she do? Uh, she basically goes, what do you guys think you're doing? Why are you wrecking my stuff? Uh... And then you stand for like a good minute, so Cleaver has to jump yeah, in. Yeah, Ferris was terrified. He was his his uh, he was redlining hardcore. You know, he had the danger music, danger noise playing in his head. Uh, so he was just trying to find a way out. He was trying to like slowly make his way out. You know, sorry, this is a mistake. We're gonna leave. Didn't realize anybody was here. And at that point, Cleaver stepped in and was a little more eloquent than Ferris ever is. Yeah. 
I mean, Cleaver had also vomited into the bloodstone thing and helped her destroy it. I, yeah. I picture Cleaver, like, walking in, like, wiping the the vomit acid off of her mouth and, like, flicking it on the ground <laughs> as she's trying to have this conversation with this terrifying, you know, mage. So, Velez has access to void magic, which is a interesting subset of magic um it has been tinkered with um there's a third party uh company called kobold press which actually made a void magic supplement and that's where i'm kind of pulling her powers from um so she's a high level mage she's she's basically you know um a, a high level magic user um now you found out some inf- interesting information about Velez. You know, her and Kartram and Golthias seem to all be involved with one another. And that is how Trixie, uh, you know, she, she manipulated that to, to, mm-hmm. to kill Golthias. Um, where basically, um, so Trixie and Golthias, how in order to keep Trixie from trying to attack and kill Golthias when she was just a hashling out of an egg. Uh, Kartram um, concocted a, a basically a talisman using a vial of Trixie's blood and whoever possesses this talisman Trixie can't harm. So Golthias would keep this on her person and through other vampirish means basically kept her as a pet slash lieutenant thinking that she was loyal to her much in the same way as Cartrum and Velez were Trixie in order to get around this little setback of you know her plans to murder Golthias went and kind of had a already had a poor relationship with Velez and so she basically got into a series of increasingly hostile encounters to the point that Velez thought that Trixie was going to murder her. And so Velez convinced Golthias uh, to give her the vial of Trixie's blood. Basically so that, you know, Velez could not be harmed uh, by by uh, Trixie. Uh, this opened the door for Trixie to murder Golthias, which she did. Uh, after she manipulated Kartram um, into letting him into or letting her into Golthias's like inner sanctum, which only Kartram and Velez could do. Uh, we don't know exactly how that manipulation occurred, but um, that is kind of the hidden backstory uh, between those characters. Um, and so, you know, we, we know Velez... You know, so after Golthias died, Kartram, due to his role in, you know, Golthias's murder, was kind of cast out of Golthias's organization. And Velez took it over. And then she got somehow, and we don't know how yet, and maybe the Toon Squad will find this out next week. Maybe. <laughs> uh, after, after we yeah. manage the penguins. Oh yeah, you're doing the penguin mission. So maybe it'll end up Be- being uh the, the Sunday group. Because the Brigade. The Toon Squad 100% has their priorities in place. Yeah, yeah. So for next week, uh, so the, the the Toon Squad kind of, they have 
one week remaining before their big showdown between uh, Velez and themselves. And so they have two kind of time-sensitive missions. Uh, one, they have this entire penguin encounter that they need to resolve, which involves the elemental plane of water, and the penguins are returning um, from their trip into the elemental plane of water next week. The other thing that is going on is that there's this group of Shatterkai who have been searching for Velez of the Void, and they were actually the group that imprisoned her back in the Shadowfell. And so someone should probably, and I've like all but, I literally just told people this last week, someone should probably talk to the Shatterkai if you really want a chance at succeeding in this encounter. Because, um, you know, they do have dragons, you know, they do have some crab folk, but Velez is not, she is a, she is a powerful figure. She seems to be, in, in terms of, you know, ranking threat, she sounds like she's significantly above Duwop the Aboleth. Um, but again, it's like, I, I, I that, that's why I'm, I personally am very nervous about this, um, where like I feel like we could have as many, as much backup as we could possibly get, and there's still a possibility we could fail. Yeah. Well, she or at least some people die. Uh, yeah. Well, no, it's everybody gonna die. Mm-hmm. She she definitely has some potent abilities. Um, spoiler alert: she can create black holes. Oh, good to know. So so when Ferris is standing five feet away from her, and because it's invariably going to happen in some way shape or form uh he at least at least i as a player can know how screwed he how royally screwed he is (laughs) no we just yeet ourselves into the void again because that's worked well in the past well now we know only one of us has to go (laughs) in and that one is going to end up being ferris of course because ferris you know, is is the person who's apparently doomed with this entire encounter with Phil. You know, the the big irony about this whole Trixie plotline that the Batoon Squad has been pursuing for the last month. Ferris is like one of the two players that didn't participate in the breaking of the stuff, and yet everyone pinned like the oh poor Ferris, he's gonna die if we don't find this dragon. Yeah, like, she, she literally just like, started counting up numbers. She was like one two and then she like started listening back to see how many people were in the in the room sounds like maybe another four so we're at six okay how about another we'll make it an even 10 let's make it a baker's dozen and it just kept going up and up and up yeah because she she was pissed because um you know Velez. uh you know so the holes of the dead now the, the holes of the dead were not constructed by Velez. They were actually constructed by Cartrum, and I, I, I hmm. that that I, uh, one person uh, in the campaign knows that, but most of the party did not. Most of the the players did did not know that until I just said something. Um, so you know that's what Cartrum's been spending the bulk of his time doing for these last fifty years is creating a monument to his dead master, who you know he had a weird relationship with him. It was not a healthy relationship because relationships with vampires rarely are. I feel like um, we were all under the impression that, at least from my end, was because you've always said that that you know Cartram and Goliath have a very you know 
uneasy relationship. So I kind of, I personally took that as, oh, Cartrum would help us if Galthias came back. That was certainly the impression that I gave you, wasn't it? Yeah, and yeah. that's definitely not what it is. You know, so I, we can talk about this now. So um, one of our other player characters, um, uh, who's uh, Doctor Worm, who's played by James Moore, which we'll we'll have him on the podcast here eventually. I, I, you know, we had like most of the Sunday group show up, so you know, I wanted to bring somebody from one of the other groups in. Um, but, you know, James, you know, has been like the primary point person uh, with Cartrum, who's, you know, this vampire historian. This He was presented as kind of like a, a neutral character that could go one way or another. And so James has been corresponding with him through, through letters. And in the last letter that he wrote, it was like, hey, what exactly is the deal with you and Trixie Alana, you know, I, what, what's the history there? I know that there's something that's going on. You know, I asked this because, you know, I, you know, we're friends and I feel like there's a conflict brewing. And before like lines get drawn, uh, you know, I, I, I'm trying to figure out what's going on here. And that's kind of what revealed Cartrum's not necessarily true allegiance, but Trixie Alana has very much a sore point for Cartrum. You know, Trixie Alana, you know, led to Cartrum being exiled with the the people who he didn't get along with. And I wouldn't really say their family, but he basically got fired because Trixie Alana murdered his boss slash lover slash sire slash master very complicated relationship and you know he holds a lot of resentment about you know because he was the one who found Trixie Alana he gave Trixie Alana to uh, Golthias as a pet and then Trixie Alana murdered Golthias and so it's like a a, a, a a trifold betrayal where it's like you know what happens if the you know dog that you got your dad ends up murdering him that's why you never get pet give pets as presents. Yep. Mm-hmm. Valuable lesson that Cartrum learned. So Cartrum holds a lot of resentment specifically towards Trixie Alana. And that's part of the reason why Trixie's been in hiding for all this time. You know, um, as as we as I mentioned in the Tuesday uh, you know, session, you know, Trixie Alana has never gotten to live as a dragon. She was first a pet for a you know a vampire lord. And then she's been hiding out as a goblin, um, you know, for decades. You know, she's she's never got to just be a dragon. Um, so she's she has a lot of resentment towards Cartrum for that. The, the two do not like each other at all. And, you know, um, I, I mentioned this to my wife, Darcy, when I was writing the response to James's letter. It's like I really felt like I was writing a breakup letter. <laughs> because it was like you know it was basically dr worm it was basically cartram telling dr worm off and i debated like you know cartram just showing up and like trying to kill some people but i i, I decided that one that that would not be fair and also you know the spuddy brigade rescued cartram from a tight spot not too long ago and and Doctor and James, the 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 character, the the player, you know, 
did the did the legwork, you know, to to foster this relationship and to try to figure out what exactly is going on there. And like I felt like he deserved to be rewarded for like the legwork that he did because you know, when you invest that sort of time and energy into crafting a relationship with an NPC, you know, you're you hope there's some sort of payoff there. I mean, obviously I think, you know, I don't want to speak for James, but I'm assuming he thought the payoff would be something different. But instead, it turned out being Cartram didn't get the chance to betray you guys because now you know that you aren't necessarily on the same side. Not yet. As soon as we kill his ex-boss, uh, it will be fine. But, you know, that's that's something that we can worry about in the future. His ex-boss um, so- is already dead. Yeah, so just gotta kill basically his like coworker. But Trixie, Trixie wants Cartrum dead. I mean, yeah. that's that's the thing. It's like Trixie wants Cartrum dead. Cartrum definitely wants Trixie dead. Um, and I feel like the the company is going to get caught up in that mess. You guys are already knee deep in it, so it's just like, what mess are you going to end up with? Uh, what what side are you ultimately going to come out on? So I feel like that's one thing with this this style of campaign with three different groups because you you I I I was I was hesitant to invite you know to want Trixie Alana to come back to the outpost because that's you know how much are we overstepping as our team the intentions of everybody else you know mm-hmm. knowing that. Trixie Alana wants Cartram dead. I feel like that definitively draws a line in the sand. And as long as Trixie Alana is with us, Cartram is now a super enemy <laughs> and is going to have to be dealt with. Or it's going to have to be the other way around if we want to try to keep or rekindle a, a relationship with Cartram. It's going to have to be we give up Trixie Alana, which is going to go over poorly either way. I feel like our best case scenario is if we can avoid having uh, Velas killed, because I feel like Cartram would just lose everything. But if we can at least get her... Oh, yeah, no, she is back into the prison. Cartram, we can come to some sort of maybe working arrangement with you. Uh, but just very much, I know Cleaver has missed out on this sort of thing entirely because she's been, uh, stuck in the shadow fell, even though she helped to kick off the destruction. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be we, weird. We banish Velas of the Void back to her prison. She shows up two new, ce- three new cellmates. <laughs> oh man so uh eddie last question before we end the podcast certainly how do you think that valez how, how do you think this encounter with valez is going to go do you do you think you know what do you think is going to happen i am legitimately nervous uh i feel that if we don't get the help of the shatter kai we're done I I don't think it's going to happen. 
I don't think we. I personally don't think that we would win. Uh, or if we do, there's going to be a, a a lot of casualties. And again, that's more than likely going to include Ferris, um, given his track record. Uh, it, it just it just seems that if we can get the Shatterkai on our side and get them to show up, uh, I feel like that would put us more on, on an even field. Um, without them, I don't know. Like I, there was a lot of uncertainty with the Abeleth, especially with the big mission, uh, the big three-part mission that we had to deal with the Abeleth. Um, mm. This could very much be a very similar situation. Well, uh, we will find out what happens with Velez of the Void, who, as I mentioned, you know, when I make this, you know, I, when I sit down and plan out this campaign, you know, I, I don't necessarily plan out like a strict plot because, you know, that's pointless. Um, you know, this it's that this isn't that style of D&D campaign. Um, but I do kind of like have an idea of like who the main threat is going to be for a particular, you know, I call them seasons. And the Clockwork Army was supposed to be this season's threat. Um, and, I, I, I had that impression with every encounter that we had. I, yeah. I feel like uh, coming around to it, I feel like the Toon Squad has their thumb in a lot of pies. I feel like we've dipped our toes into a lot of ponds and never really committed to any of them, which is why we have so many things going on, which is why we have the Penguins, which is why we have the Clockwork Army, and then we have Valus of the Void. I, I feel like we've stirred up a lot of trouble and haven't seen through any of it. <laughs> Well, the the Toon Squad is pretty new. I mean, you know, you guys have only that that group has only been together for two, what, going on three months. I think you guys first started playing together in uh, mid November, um, because you guys were around before the Lionsgate mission, um, which was the first weekend of December, I believe, or second weekend of December. Um, so, you know, so I feel like for this recent like you know the search for Trixie has been like catching up some of the newer players in your group and some of the players who haven't been as involved in the campaign up until this point um this gives them an opportunity to get a sampling of what the outlands has to offer because you guys you, you guys have been traveling from faction to faction almost every single week mm-hmm. um like, you know, kind of like it's it's a lot better than like, you know, we have a, a, a resource, so a wiki uh, database. And it's a lot better to see the crab folk firsthand and to like really get to experience what their encampment is like or to meet the pirates. And like, you know, OK, these are these are scumbags, but, you know, we can work with these scumbags or even like the hill giants who are just like. We want nothing to do with these guys. They're going to murder us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot better to see that than like read about it on our wiki. We at least had a with the pirates. We at least had a potential in. Yeah, you know, we we had the one uh, pirate that we ended up saving from the Chull Nest, uh, nope. which ended up being the lieutenant. <laughs> How fortuitous! Yeah. The, the ranking member. It was almost as if that was pre-planned. Thank um, God we didn't go with Ferris's first idea of just leaving him. <laughs> uh, well, we will find out what happens with Falez here in a couple of weeks. 
Um, thank you so much for coming on to the show, Eddie. Absolutely. This is fun. Uh, Are there any places online that people can find you that you'd want to share? Uh, I am not online in any way, shape, or form. Sorry. Sorry, uh, uh, listeners. Sorry, you cannot find me elsewhere. Uh, but you can find uh, this podcast. We are on Twitter at Outlands Pod. Um, and also, while you're on the internet, you can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, all that sort of stuff. Um, the more subscriptions we have, the the higher we'll rank in various D and D searches on those platforms. And also leave us reviews because the more five-star reviews we get, the higher we appear on those rankings as well. So that helps more people find the Outlands and uh, dig into this wonderful and wild world that we have built together. Um, you can find me on Twitter at SeahofferSeabus. You can find my writing about Dungeons & Dragons at comicbook.com, which is a CBS Viacom site. Luke, where can they find you? Hi, you can find me on Twitter at, at Coltreg, that's K-O-L-T-R-E-G, and you can find the rest of the podcasts, comics, and all that other stuff that I'm working on at Luke Hare, L-U-K-E-H-E-R-R dot com. If it, Luke, Christian, if I may, though I am not on the internet, could I plug something? Yes, please. Uh, my, I have a friend... Uh, Elizabeth Banks, who is a LARPer and D&D player, um, she does TikToks in character. Uh, I just wanted to plug her TikTok of I mm. just at I just want cats. Uh, she posts fairly regularly and is slowly trying to create a following. So I just wanted to give her a shout out. Awesome. Well, we'll have to check that out. Um, and I encourage all of our listeners to do so as well. So um, that's all we have for tonight's episode. Uh, we will uh, do this again here in the next week or so. Um, and mm -hmm. until then, uh, I uh, keep adventuring. Plin Collie. Stay alive. Tillin Kali, 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 Tillin